Good morning. I'm, I'm dressed for the uh, soccer home opener. Uh, I want to begin this morning by reading a couple uh, what will be pretty familiar passages from Scripture to you. Um, the first of which some of you will recognize from your first ever Christian Mind lecture. Uh, that's Ephesians chapter 4. I want to read just the first three verses where Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And also from Paul, Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 15. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. In front of us this year lies a rare opportunity, uh, the chance to give ourselves to the good work of sharpening our minds, building our understanding, pursuing truth, acquiring knowledge and wisdom, forging relationships that will sustain us on our life's journey, honing skills for the callings that lie in front of us, developing and displaying our God-given talents on the stage, or the field, or the court, or the track, or the runway. That's for the pole vaulter in the room. But we have a problem, um, a serious one, specifically with regard to the intellectual work that lies at the heart of our mission as an academic institution. At Covenant, in order to be faithful to our calling, we are supposed to pursue the truth wherever it may be found, to engage in reasoned discourse, to wrestle with difficult issues, to debate potentially controversial topics, to have hard conversations, all under the truth of the inerrant word of God led by the Holy Spirit. That work is central to our calling, uh, but engaging in hard conversations or conversations on controversial topics has become increasingly difficult in our day and age. Um, supposedly, there's an ancient Chinese curse that when translated into English reads, may you live in interesting times. All of my research, and I will admit, um, I only Googled this, I did not Holberg it, um, suggests that this isn't actually a Chinese curse. It perhaps just appeared in a fortune cookie at some point in time. Uh, nevertheless, we do live in interesting times. Uh, we live in an era when the pace of change seems unprecedented, when the pace of life seems faster and faster every year. We also live in an era that's been described by many cultural critics as an age of outrage. Uh, I'm sure you've witnessed examples of this outrage. Uh, the outrage that's become characteristic of our public discourse in this country, it seems to manifest itself especially strongly in the political arena. And sadly, as much as we would like to think that the church would be above this sort of thing, that the body of Christ wouldn't succumb to the fractiousness that plagues this world, uh, this attitude of outrage has seeped into the church. And the division within the church really has become more pronounced in recent years uh, with regard to political matters 
uh, research that's presented by Ed Stetzer in his book, Christians in an Age of Outrage, indicates that 82% of evangelicals uh, who have an opinion on the matter believe that, quote, since the 2016 presidential election, groups within the Christian church have become increasingly polarized over issues of politics. I'm sure you guys didn't need to hear that stat to sense that reality. Um, in Stetzer's words, um, quote, it is easier to be angry and pithy than Christ-like and on mission. And Stetzer identifies two factors uh, as being primary contributors to the outrage so evident in our culture today. The first is this real pol- a real polarization that's taking place as the nominal uh, Judeo-Christian cultural consensus in America is breaking down, um, as more cultural Christians are giving up on their supposed faith commitments and acknowledging themselves as nuns, as folks who don't have a religious commitment. And as truly committed Christians, what Stetzer calls convictional Christians, uh, increasingly find themselves as a distinct cultural minority. The second factor that Stetzer identifies is the effect of technological innovation, specifically smartphones and social media, that have allowed for the establishment of ideological echo chambers. Um, And compounding the problem, of course, is the fact that in the realm of social media and the internet, um, outrage generates clicks, and clicks make money. Uh, Some people would say that American society is more divided than ever before. Uh, I don't know. I didn't live in the 60s. Um, I also did not live through the Civil War. Um, Those were seriously fractured periods in our country's history. And for Christians, uh, it would be hard to think of a time more divided than the 17th century when what historians refer to as the wars of religion left Europe a bloody mess. Uh, Historians estimate that one-third of Germany's population was dead at the end of the Thirty Years' War in 1648. We're not there yet, thankfully. Um, What I can say is this, that moving fast and being outraged while moving fast uh, is not a good combination for fostering healthy healthy conversation. And we at Covenant must be engaged in healthy conversations. Uh, We face some real challenges in this regard. Uh, Greg Lukianoff and Jonathan Haidt published a book last year. Is that a shout out for Jonathan Haidt? Wow, that's great. He would be honored. Um, They published a book last year entitled The Coddling of the American Mind, and the subtitle is How Good Intentions and Bad Ideas Are Setting Up a Generation for Failure. And so according to Haidt and Lukianoff, um, members of the present college-going generation, um, along with many others in our society, have been taught and have often accepted three great untruths. Um, Those untruths, which I'll share in a moment, are the fruit of a number of contributing factors that have been at play in our society. Uh, Things like uh, polarization on political matters that in the U.S. has in fact risen dramatically since 1994. Um, Dramatic increase in instances of anxiety and depression, uh, which are linked to the prevalence of smartphones and the use of social media. Um, If you wanted to read more about that, you should read Gene Twenge's book, iGen, Why Today's Superconnected Kids Are Growing Up Less Rebellious, More Tolerant, Less Happy, and Completely Unprepared for Adulthood. Um, Some interesting sociological data there related to rising levels of loneliness and anxiety and depression in our culture. Um, Lukianoff and Haidt also point to paranoid parenting, um, the fact that despite the dramatic increase in violent crime in the U.S., we've had a 50% decrease in violent crime since the early 1990s. Uh, Parents have become much more protective, even overprotective, and restrict children, despite the fact that they're safer now than they've ever been. Along with overprotecting children, uh, Lukianoff and Haidt point to the fact that our society has Uh, overstructured young people's lives, um, often for the sake of educational achievement, 
um, and have deprived young people of opportunities to play, which is critical for their development. And in relation to those factors, uh, our society has built bureaucracies uh, devoted to ensuring that students and young uh, children are always safe and comfortable. Um, those are especially prevalent in schools and on college campuses. There's a lot of uh, organizations cover, covering their own backsides, and you all probably have heard examples of things like um, parents being arrested for allowing their children to play in the yard unsupervised. Um, it's actually the case, apparently, that the average age for unsupervised outdoor activity, uh, when I was growing up in the 70s, uh, the average age for children being allowed to go out and play on their own um, in the yard or in the neighborhood was seven uh, years old. It's now 14. Um, so uh, things have changed. Uh, last contributing factor that Lukianoff and Height points to is the fact that much of our society has moved toward an understanding of justice that's based on equal outcomes as opposed to equal opportunity or proportional procedural justice. Really interesting chapter in the book on that. I'd encourage you to read. And what Lukianoff and Haidt say is that when you mix these contributing factors together, you end up with people absorbing three great, uh, what they call, untruths. Uh, the first of which is the untruth of fragility, uh, that what doesn't kill you makes you weaker. Um, this is the idea that failures or insults or painful experiences can only harm you, and therefore you should do anything you can to avoid those types of experiences. Uh, it stands in sharp contrast um, to the German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche's famous dictum, that which does not kill us makes us stronger. Now, when Lukianoff and Haidt say this, um, they're not referring to real trauma. Obviously, victims are hurt by real trauma. Um, rather, they're talking about difficulties or challenges or obstacles, um, which our society has become increasingly convinced we need to eliminate for fear of harming those who encounter them. Um, and it's that untruth that's led to a culture of safetyism, which inhibits our ability to grow and develop as human beings. Uh, Nassim Taleb, in his book, Anti-Fragile, makes the case that there are many complex systems um, that are not only not fragile, um, fragile meaning they would break um, if placed under stress or pressure, um, and not only uh, uh, not resilient, um, resilient meaning they would withstand pressure and would not break, uh, but systems, complex systems that are actually anti-fragile, uh, that is, they actually grow um, or become stronger under stress. Uh, so he gives us examples, and you guys could probably imagine some of these on your own, among many other things, uh, things like human bones or human muscles or the human immune system or financial markets or human beings in general. Um, he makes the argument that an appropriate amount of risk and the stress that comes with an appropriate amount of risk builds anti-fragility, actually makes us stronger. And in an academic context, this means that hearing ideas that you find uncomfortable um, or alarming or even objectionable um, is not going to harm you. Uh, rather, it's going to make you stronger, uh, more anti-fragile. As Christians, we know that we're made in the image of God. Um, and while we're finite, we also have a remarkable capacity to grow, uh, to develop more and more into the likeness of our Savior. Um, and that growth comes through being challenged, through being pushed, uh, through pressing against some resistance. Uh, I'm sure you're all familiar with Proverbs 27, 17, uh, famous verse, as iron sharpens iron, uh, so one man sharpens another. Um, when iron is sharpening iron, there's friction, uh, there is resistance, uh, and that's a good thing. So when you run into resistance, um, or a challenge, or a statement you don't like, or an uncomfortable idea, 
um, see that as an opportunity to grow um, rather than as something to avoid or that's going to make you weak. Second great untruth that Luke Yonoff and Height point to is emotional reasoning. Um, always trusting your feelings. This untruth I think ought to be self-evidently untrue, uh, but sadly we are very easily swept up in our own feelings. And, and when I say we, I mean all of us. Um, everyone is prone to emotional reasoning, to confirmation bias, uh, to letting our perceptions, our emotional reactions override reason or the truth. Uh, this has been recognized as a problem uh, for millennia. Uh, the Greek Stoic philosopher Epictetus famously said, it is not things that disturb us, but our interpretation of their significance. Um, emotions and feelings are very important. Um, scripture has a lot to say about them, and part of what we're trying to do as we grow as Christians is to have our emotions conformed uh, to God's desires. But it's also the case that our emotions, fallen as they are, can mislead us or can cause us to embrace narratives that don't actually comport with reality. So, silly example. When the Green Bay Packers beat the Chicago Bears, which they happened to do last night, um, I feel like everything is right in the world. Was everything right in the world just because I felt that way? No. Um, or maybe a, a more negative example. When my son feels that the referees in his soccer game are unjust and biased against his team because they missed a call, does that mean that the referees are unjust and biased? Maybe. I figured I might get that answer from someone in the soccer program. Um, this tendency to engage in emotional reasoning manifests itself subtly in our culture uh, all the time. And people talking about my truth or his truth or her truth. As Christians, we know that God is the author of all truth. Um, we know that there is truth. And that God in his graciousness reveals it to us uh, in his word, in his son, and in the world around us. Um, so if you get tempted to uh, immediately embrace your feelings as truth, I'd encourage you to remember uh, the common grace insight shared in the early 1990s by rapper Ice Cube. I do not endorse everything Ice Cube had to say. Um, but he did say, check yourself before you wreck yourself. which I take as a common grace reminder to stop, to take a moment to consider whether your feelings might be misleading you, and to wade into the work of seeking the truth, uh, which may contradict your feelings or may confirm them. Third untruth that Luke Yanoff and Haidt talk about is us versus them, uh, that life is a battle between good people and evil people. Um, you might call this dichotomous thinking or tribalism. It's the idea that people are either good or bad, righteous or unrighteous, virtuous or wicked, and if someone isn't with you and with your tribe, then there is only one of those categories that they can be in, the enemy. Um, in contrast to that view, consider what uh, Russian writer Alexander Solzhenitsyn had to say in the Gulag, Gulag Archipelago. He wrote, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. The line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. Solzhenitsyn's quote is another way of presenting what we know as the doctrine of sin. 
Uh, scripture tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, even those of us who have been redeemed and made alive in Christ still wrestle against indwelling sin in our lives. Um, when we're redeemed, we don't become faultless, either morally or intellectually. Uh, in light of that truth, we of all people as Christians should be circumspect and casting aspersions on those people over there. Um, we of all people should shun self-righteousness uh, and the very natural human inclination to look down on those with whom we disagree. Um, certainly, ultimately, uh, there are those who are made righteous by Christ um, and those who cling to unrighteous rebellion and will suffer the consequences. Scripture's clear uh, that metaphorically speaking, there are lambs and goats, uh, there are wheat and tares, and that God will separate them. Um, but right now, we live in a fallen world. Uh, we are fallen and redeemed people. Uh, we live as finite people with limitations on our understanding because of our awareness of our own sinfulness, of our own finitude, um, of the battle that rages within each of us, we ought to be quick to recognize that uh, our world is not just us versus them. Um, and this is particularly true when it comes to matters that are not clearly spoken to in Scripture, matters on which Christians might disagree. Um, say, for example, on which political candidate Christians ought to support, um, especially when none of the options available check all the boxes. That's not to say you can't have an opinion, uh, that you can't make an argument, but as you do, remember that it's, not po it's certainly possible that thoughtful, well-meaning brothers and sisters could land in a different place than you do. Um, so let's not, let's not quickly lump others uh, into the them category. Uh, and I would say um, in this vein, I'd like to encourage you guys especially not to adopt that, this attitude or especially to adopt this attitude or posture with your, peer, your peers in the faculty and staff uh, here at Covenant. Um, if you want to begin to see a non-dichotomous non-binary view of the world take root in the church and in the world, um, we need to begin by uh, not allowing binary us versus them thinking to take root in our community here on top of a mountain. Um, thank you. Uh, in his book, Them, Why We Hate Each Other and How to Heal, uh, Senator Ben Sass uh, from Nebraska, who is a brother in Christ, uh, makes a compelling case uh, for beginning the work of national healing on the local level. It's a really good book. I'd encourage you to read it sometime. Um, I think his argument holds true not only for national healing, uh, but also for healing within the body of Christ. Um, let's start here uh, on the mountain at Covenant. Now let's be slow to lump others in uh, with them. Um, so, Luke Yanoff and Height, uh, these two authors make the case that the consequence of accepting these untruths of fragility of emotional reasoning of us versus them, um, the consequence on American college and university campuses has been intimidation and violence and witch hunts. He give, they give examples from Yale and Berkeley and Middlebury and Reed and Oberlin. You guys have probably seen those in the news. Uh, the environment that's been created both on campuses and in broader society by the acceptance of these untruths is one that really is at odds with what we have been here at Covenant College over the years and what we want to be here at Covenant College. It's an environment that's at odds with our mission as an educational institution and our norms as a Christian community. Um, it inhibits the ability, our ability to do the work we're called to do. So we have to push back against the dominant culture, against the prevailing ethos in our society. Our calling as a Christian academic community is to pursue truth uh, because we know that all truth is God's truth. Uh, through reasoned discourse, in light of distinctly Christian virtues, uh, virtues that have shaped Christian academic communities since their inception. 
It's our job to engage in hard conversations, uh, to tackle difficult problems head on, uh, confident that our maker and our redeemer knows all things, sustains all things, uh, that he can lead us to that which is good and true and beautiful. At Covenant, we want to wrestle with challenging issues in light of our shared identity in Christ. Um, that identity, our identity in Christ, is fundamental to our work. Uh, if you were to look at the college's purpose statement, some of you may have, many of you may have not have, um, you would find that that's the first point in our list of objectives, uh, that we would all understand and embrace our identity in Christ. Um, as followers of Jesus, as those who've been redeemed by him, um, our identity in Christ is our one true identity. Um, in an age of identity politics, uh, in a culture that places heavy emphasis on all sorts of different identities, uh, sexual identity, gender identity, racial identity, socioeconomic identity, um, we at Covenant must remember and must celebrate the fact that at the end of the day, uh, we are in Christ first and foremost. Um, our union with Christ defines us. Our status as creatures made in the image of God and redeemed out of sin by him defines us in a way more fundamental than any other identity we may want to embrace. And because of that identity, we are one. Um, we are brothers and sisters united in Christ. And that means that despite many differences uh, of opinion that we might have, despite how fervently we might believe uh, that we are right, and that our roommate, or our hallmate, or our classmate, or our teammate, perhaps even our professor, or our president, is wrong, um, we share a bond with them that is deeper than any possible earthly tie, uh, that's more foundational than membership in any other identity group. And so we can disagree. Uh, we can have differences of opinion or perspective. And when we do, we remember that the person with whom we disagree is our brother or sister, our joint heir with Christ. And we treat our brothers and sisters with love as Christ commanded us. Um, that means we don't seek to shame them, uh, to denigrate them, to call them out. Uh, this is a real temptation in our world right now. It's easy to score points with our tribe by expressing our outrage and getting the affirmation of likes on social media when we do so. Uh, rather than asking questions, engaging in conversation, assuming the best of those with whom we disagree rather than assuming the worst. As believers, as followers of Christ, we ought to exhibit the virtues that are becoming a community of brothers and sisters. Uh, at Covenant, we ought to be curious, uh, asking questions to learn more about what someone means, uh, what they think. We ought to be courageous, uh, willing to enter into potentially difficult conversations, knowing that we share an ultimate identity that trumps all others and that unites us. Uh, we ought to be gracious, quick to think the best of others, and quick to forgive. Uh, we ought to be magnanimous. Um, I love that term, magnanimous. Uh, it's not a term you hear often these days. It literally means great of spirit or great of heart. Um, according to Merriam-Webster Dictionary, it means magnanimity is loftiness of spirit, enabling one to bear trouble calmly to disdain meanness and pettiness, and to display a noble generosity. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, magnanimity is nobility or generosity of spirit, superiority to petty resentment or jealousy, noble or generous disregard of insults or injuries. Here's what we need to remember as we enter into the work of a Christian academic community this year. Uh, we are united in Christ. Each of you belongs to the sovereign creator and sustainer of the universe. Uh, you, students and faculty and staff, have one fundamental identity. 
You are children of the King, beloved of God, fellow heirs with Christ. You are brothers and sisters. For all the diversity of backgrounds and experiences and interests represented in this room, which are beautiful, uh, you are more alike than different. Uh, You're made in the image of God. You're fallen. You're finite. You're redeemed. Uh, We're one in Christ. Whether we are Republican or Democrat, whether we're interested in making America great again or feeling the burn, whether you cheer for Auburn or Alabama, Carolina or Duke, uh, whether you like classical or pop music, country or hip-hop, whether you're into representational art or abstract art, whether you're inclined toward Israel or Palestine, uh, we're one. We can disagree, Um, maybe especially about hard things. Um, As some of you know, you will have opportunity to uh, disagree about hard things in your time here at Covenant, maybe especially when you take global trends. Uh, We can disagree. Uh, We can debate about things like immigration policy and globalization and gentrification and capitalism and socialism and tax policy and healthcare policy and education reform and criminal justice reform and climate change and the most effective approaches to racial reconciliation and the church's role in speaking into public affairs, etc. We share commitments to fundamental biblical truths. God is creator and ruler of all. Jesus Christ is his son, fully incarnate, fully God fully man who lived a sinless life and then died uh, on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. He rose from the dead and is reconciling all things to himself with the promise that he will usher in the new heavens and the new earth. Um, He is our king and he cares about the poor and the widow and the orphan and the alien. And we don't necessarily agree on how those commitments ought to shape or inform our particular uh, our approach to particular laws or specific policy proposals and that's okay. Um, Christians haven't always done that sort of disagreeing well. Christians don't always do that sort of disagreeing well. You have the opportunity uh, to be a generation that does. And the church and the world need that now as much as ever. Um, It's not always easy. It takes practice, which is part of why we're here. Uh, But it's really important. It's critical uh, for three reasons. Um, It's critical for our life together as a Christian community. We have to bear with one another. Uh, We have to love one another well for the sake of the peace and the purity of the body of Christ. Uh, it's critical for our witness in the world. Uh, you all are familiar, I know, with John thirteen thirty five, where Jesus says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Um, if we want to be effective in bearing witness before the world to Jesus Christ's preeminence in all things, um, we have to love one another well. We have to disagree well. Uh, and it's also critical for our work as an academic institution. In order to uncover God's truth wherever it is to be found, uh, we have to be able to engage in difficult conversations, to debate controversial topics, uh, to challenge and to encourage one another. And this is why your time here at Covenant is so important. Um, In front of you lies the opportunity to do this work well. So I would encourage you, uh, be curious, uh, be courageous, be gracious, be magnanimous. Um, Ask questions, seek clarity, especially about the definition of terms. Uh, Listen, repeat back what you hear so your conversation partner agrees that it's a fair summary of his or her view. Uh, Be willing to hold ideas or concepts in tension. As Scott Fitzgerald once said, the test of a first-rate intelligence is the ability to hold two opposed ideas in the mind at the same time and still retain the ability to function. Don't compromise on biblical truth. 
Um, but do acknowledge that you're finite, uh, limited, fallen, uh, perhaps even blinkered by your own experience. Um, that's great. God didn't design you to be infinite or all-knowing, uh, so embrace that. Wade into difficult, even uncomfortable conversations with humility um, and cut each other some slack. Uh, don't assume the worst. In fact, try not to make assumptions. Um, it's natural to do so, but not particularly helpful, and people will surprise you. Um, above all, uh, pursue your interactions here with charity, uh, with Christian love. Uh, remember what Paul said about love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The opportunity that lies in front of you is actually uh, kind of exciting. You can and should have conversations here that people at other colleges and universities can't. Um, it won't always be easy, uh, but you can have those conversations. Um, you're an advantage over your peers at other institutions because of your identity in Christ. Um, so don't squander it. Enter into conversations with Christian love, uh, seeking truth through reason discourse, and delight in the blessing of engaging in that pursuit alongside fellow truth seekers who are, when all is said and done, fellow image bearers, joint heirs with Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ, and fellow Scots. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the privilege of pursuing uh, our shared calling uh, here at Covenant College. We pray that you would grant us grace um, to bear with one another, uh, to love one another well, uh, to disagree well, that we might be sharpened uh, and prepared for faithful service. We pray, Father, that as these students go into the world, that the witness that they bear in the world will bring honor and glory uh, to your name. We ask it in the name um, of our Savior and our King, uh, in whom we have our identity, Jesus Christ. Amen.